Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you who are over in the modern service there in the fellowship hall. We've had a wonderful time already in worship as we have here. And um, we are walking through this amazing story of God's people. And really, it's just God's family to this point. And um, if you are one of our guests here, uh, what we've been doing over the last few weeks is reading, and you see the reading plan in the back of the bulletin, and uh, we've been reading through together as a church. So as people are reading throughout the week, we come together and then preach from one of those passages so that as God is speaking to you and to your wives and to your families and life groups and discipleship groups and all of that, then we come together, God continues to drill down on that word among us. So, for instance, next week, as we end up uh, our time in Genesis, we transition to Exodus. So next week, preaching from Exodus chapters 2 and 3, Lord willing, uh, the call of Moses, an incredible, incredible passage. And so I love this guy named Moses and um, haven't preached a whole lot on him, so I can't wait to dig in with my reading this week with you all and then transition there. But where we are right now in our readings, Big story is is God has promised that He would uh, send a man who would be a blessing to all the earth and reverse the curse of the garden, and He is going to create a family from which this man is going to come, and that family would become a nation, the nation of Israel. So if we've been walking through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now Joseph this week, the family, and we're at this, um, we're at this point where God is going to really pivot here with the history and we're going to move from these incredible stories of these men and their wives and their children and all that God does. And now we're going to transition to Egypt where the families become a huge nation. The families become so big that they are now this nation that, that has sprung out of Egypt and God continues to move the story, but we're right here where the families are about to become a nation. This is where we are. Big picture. Little picture. Or on the ground in Genesis, we've been watching this guy named Joseph. Phenomenal story. How he just was treated unfairly and thrown into a pit, betrayed by his family, suffered, endured. He would get, uh, he would get elevated, get back, knocked back down, back up again, up and down, up and down. This life, this life of uh, Joseph goes. But all the while, God is steadily undergirding him and moving him to a place where he is going to be an instrument of God's power and God's grace to save the family, to get him to Egypt, to keep the story going. So this Joseph guy is huge. Because he is the one who literally saves the lives of the family so that they can become a nation. So that as God continues the story, it's no longer in the promised land. Now he's going to grow them in the captivity of Egypt. And so this Joseph guy is right in the middle of that. Well, all the hurt and all the suffering and all the pain and years. He was 17 when he was betrayed by his brothers really left for dead, and then, and then traded rather into Egypt, and they thought we'd never see him again. He'll be a slave forever. Now, today's the day in which he confronts his brothers. Sees them for the very first time. Probably more than 20 years. The ones who betrayed him, and now the ones that Joseph has authority to govern over. What's he going to do? 
So for our reading time, Genesis chapter 42, you already have your place. Genesis chapter 42, verse 6. In the uh, modern service there, you need a Bible, go ahead, raise your hand. We love to give hard copies away of the Bible if you need one, so please raise your hand. Here in this service, uh, in the pew rack in front of you, turn on your digital device. Genesis 42, our reader for today, come on up and need it, is um, someone whom... We have grown to love. This is Anita Tolliver, and she's a member of the choir. You might see her every up, every week up here on Sunday. Um, been a member for a while, but she also is on our staff, and Anita leads the front office. So, Anita is the voice of Taylor. So you like that? <laughs> she is the voice. So when you call and you look for us, this is her. She's got a beautiful voice. But she um, also, front office, doing such a phenomenal job. As people come in, she's the one that they see. So we, we love you. And we are so glad that you're here. And so we thought, why not invite um, Anita here to share the scriptures with us? So will you please stand for the reading of the word of God as one of our very own leads us in Genesis chapter 42, beginning in verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. A few weeks ago, I was channel surfing and I ran across a documentary, one of the sports channels, and I came in really in the middle of the documentary, but I, I knew enough to kind of catch on right away. And immediately I was captivated by the story of a young man by the name of Chris Singleton. Chris is a, um, was a student at Charleston Southern and a baseball player, and a mighty good one at that because he just got drafted by the Cubs. So Chris Singleton was playing in the summer for a uh, summer league there in Charleston, where he lives. And when he got home from a baseball game, his mom was calling him. When he picked up the phone, it wasn't his mom's voice. It was a lady who said, I think you need to come down to the church. You see, Chris Singleton and his mother were members at AME Church there in Charleston. And that was the night as he drove in and saw all of the, the paramedics there and all of the security and all of the commotion. That was the night that he learned that a 21-year-old man had walked into the church Wednesday evening and sat in a Bible study and waited his time and then took out a gun and brutally murdered nine people, all in the name of beginning a race war, he said. So as Chris comes down, he leaves his brother and his sister. He comes down there and they give him word. And his message would become, after that, one, it's a beautiful message, one, of love, not hate. 
But here's what caught my attention at the documentary. As the reporter looks at him, they showed pictures of Dylan Roof being arrested, and he, I think he was caught in North Carolina and being taken away. He looked at Chris and said, Chris, can you forgive him? And he looked at the report and he said, the way I see it, I have two choices. I can either forgive or not to forgive. It's my choice. And I choose to forgive because that's what my mom would do. So when we come to this story of Joseph, Joseph comes to the same crossroads that a baseball player from Charleston Southern came to and that maybe you and I come to this morning. Because every single one of us, I'm convinced, every single one of us, if we have not been here already, we will soon be at the spot where we've been offended or we've been hurt or we've been victimized. And we have a choice. We can either choose to continue going the way we're going or we can choose to forgive. We can choose to continue to hold on to the path that we're on, whatever that looks like, or we can choose to be free and offer the freedom of forgiveness. And this is what happens in the life of Joseph now, is these brothers come to him, and he is now number two in all of Egypt. He's the governor. He, he, he is the one Pharaoh lets him run the whole show. There is no one more powerful than him. So he sits in a place of authority where he has every right to put these guys in prison. He has every right to take their lives. He has every right to torture them. He has every right to do to them what they have done to him. He sits in a seat of revenge, which is the natural thing to do. So how about you this morning? Here's the thing. Some of you this morning, I believe, I believe this with all my heart. I said it, said it in the first hour, and I believe it. Some of you right now, God has put together from your reading and from the life of Joseph in this sermon, the Holy Spirit this morning is coming to you and saying, you are at this crossroads. And you need to deal with this. And by my grace and by my word, I'm going to help you do this. And through the gospel, I can help you do this. But some of you this morning, there's someone who has hurt you, and they have said words that to this day go in your ear, and they just sit there, and they hurt so bad. There are things that people have done to you, and you might not have told anybody. You might not have told your husband, your wife. You might not have told anybody, but yet to this day, it is the that defines who you are and how you respond emotionally and relationally. And over the years, as it builds up, you are, you are held captive by these things. It could be a son. It could be a daughter. It could be a mom. It could be a dad. It could be a husband. It could be a wife. It could be an ex-husband. It could be an ex-wife. It could be a boss. It could be a colleague co-worker. It could be your best friend. It's no longer your best friend. It could be your church. It could be your pastor. For those of you who are in ministry or been in ministry, you're wounded and you're hurt. 
There is no one who is exempt from this. Every single one of us is going to come to this point at some point. I'm convinced. So we have to choose. What are we going to do? How do we, how do we even begin to make this move to, to not just imitate the life of Joseph, but rather to imitate the new Joseph, Jesus, who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How do we get to that point? What are some of the things that we need to keep in mind? So we go to our text this morning. What Anita read there in verse, in chapter 42, there in verse 10. I want to pick it up there because I think this is important. And when I read this text this week in my reading time, this jumped out at me because I knew this is kind of where we were headed, planned this passage weeks ago, if not months ago, kind of circled it and said, this is where we're going to go. But in the reading time, this, this leapt out at me, and maybe it's because it's where I am personally as a pastor, as a man, a husband, a father, whatever it might be. But there in verse 10, when the brothers come to Joseph, and he begins to um, examine them, and, and he's trying to uncover their heart, because even though it sounds like in this chapter and in the chapters to come, he's kind of rough with them. He kind of toys with them a little bit, doesn't he? Throughout, throughout our reading time, you just have to chuckle. The way that, that Joseph has the upper hand, he's kind of, kind of throwing his weight around a little bit here and there. But the bottom line is this. His heart is moved with compassion for these guys. And so he's speaking to them. He's trying to uncover where their heart Because he hasn't seen them in 20 years. Can you imagine that? They don't recognize him. He's got the power and glory of Egypt around him. He's not speaking their language. And so he looks at them and, and he says, you're spies. And he tries to kind of gauge where they are. And, and maybe it's just to kind of get his feet from underneath them. And they say, no, 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 no. We're not spies at all. We're not here to take advantage of the land. But we are, verse 10, honest men. I don't know why. That just leapt out at me. And, and here's the thought. You ready? Number one. We'll put it on the screen for those of you who are writing. Here's the first step, I believe, towards reconciliation, towards forgiveness, towards healing and freedom. And it is this. Realize that we have cloudy and short memories of our own sins, but clear and long memories of the sins that are performed against us. It's just human nature. We, we have cloudy and short memories of our, own, of our own sins, of who we are. But clear and long memories of the sins that are done against us. These guys, hey, they were technically correct. We, we're honest in that. We're not spies. We're not here, Joseph, to, to, to um, take advantage of the land. They were technically correct. But as will come out in the next few verses and in the next few chapters, here's what they miss. Their guilt and their own sin before God is going to be continually exposed so that then there can be reconciliation. And listen, here, here's the thing. For us this morning, in order for us to come to reconciliation with somebody else who's, who's offended us or hurt us or victimized us, and we want to offer them forgiveness, your first step is not towards them. Your first step is towards God. And your first step is to open up your heart and to say, God, here is my own heart because I know I consider myself much, much better than I really am. That my view of my sin is cloudy and it's very short-lived. Oh, but my view of the brothers, 
My view of my wife, I, I can remember what she said. My view of my, of my son or my daughter or my parents, my boss, or my church, or the, whatever it is. My view of them, oh, I, I've got it. But yet, here comes this phrase. We are honest men and God is going to take that and he's going to uncover and he's going to peel like an onion the layers back till they come face to face with their own sin. And I urge you to... Don't go running out seeking reconciliation. Don't go running out seeking some sort of forgiveness. If you have not, if you have not, come before God and open up your own heart. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. We think better of ourselves than we really are. We are far too lenient and forgiving and justifying when it comes to our own sins, but we are far too demanding when we begin to smell the sense of other people. It is better now to uncover our sins before God. It's how we pray for others. It's how we pray for ourselves. And nobody, listen, nobody owns the market except Jesus himself in the flesh. Nobody owns the market on moral superiority. No one owns the market on being correct and right. Only one man, Jesus, who has come could say, I am right. Otherwise, we are vulnerable, we are fallible, we are fallen, broken, sinful people. And the minute that we can be come face to face with our own arrogance and our own sin. I'm speaking about your own pastor here. Then, then is, begins the process of becoming right with other people. You know, this, this hit me last night. I think I've shared a similar illustration before, but it happened last night. This shows you how ridiculously blind we can be to our own sins. You ready? This is kind of funny. So it's pouring down rain last night, and my daughter... I think she's in the other service. My daughter um, is beginning to drive. And so last night, last night, as we pulled in, it was dark, it was rainy. Um, the cars were kind of nuzzled up the driveway. And my daughter kind of goes along the edge. And you know what she does? Some of you guys that, that care about what your lawn looks like will understand this. She runs over the lawn. And when I get out, I kid you... Well, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. But it looked like the size of a monster truck pit. That's what it looked like, the tire. And so I get out of the car, and I'm like, time to teach. You know, it's early. I got to teach him, right? Sweetheart, all right? I don't know if the neighbors could hear me or not. But I'm like, sweetheart, um, can I show you something? She's like, yeah, Dad, yeah, Dad. She's running in the house, right? And I'm out there saying, okay, look, you... you just be careful. Go slow. Take the turn sharp. I just need you to be careful. And I'm like, ah, you know, here we go. And I walked into the house and I said to Shree, I said, Shree, um, let it begin. All right. Our daughter's driving. Lawn's never going to be the same. Right. Blaming her. The boy, look at her. You know what your pastor did this morning? <laughs> I'm in a hurry. I'm trying to back out. I reverse. Go to my house this day, all right? Just go to my house this day. On the side is the most beautiful mud skid mark you've ever seen on the left-hand side. And I, thought, I had to laugh. I thought, oh, my goodness. I'm so incredibly blind. That's human nature. Grace, you've, you, need to, you need to drive better. <laughs> Pastor, you need to confess your own sin first. But here's what happens. If we don't do that, we're going to stay in the same cycle. 
whatever pattern you're in. And some of you have been in this pattern for a long time. Some of you have been in a pattern of this for weeks, maybe with a spouse for months, with a child, parent, years. I had a guy come up to me after the first service and he said, I'm retired, done with my work. I got to make this right. For years, I don't know where you are, but this cycle has got to stop somewhere. And here's what happens Tim Keller nails it in his book, Reason for God. When I read this, I said, I can't, I can't explain that any further. I'm just going to read it. Listen to what happens if, when we get to this crossroads, we choose not to forgive and to free, but instead to run with our emotions and with our thoughts and with our feelings, what is natural. He says this, the first option is to seek ways to make the perpetrators suffer for what they have done. This is, this is what our hearts want to do. We, we want them to suffer. And you can withhold relationships and actively initiate or passively wish for some kind of pain in their lives commiserate to what you've experienced. So you're kind of hoping, you're kind of praying, man, I hope, I hope what I've experienced, they experience that too. There are many ways to do this. You can viciously confront them and say things that hurt, or you can go around to other people. This is, this is, what we, this is the cowardly way, but this is what we do. And families and churches and businesses, you can go around to other people to tarnish their reputation. And if the perpetrators suffer, you begin to find a certain satisfaction feeling that, huh, now they're paying off their debt that they owe me. But there are some serious problems with this option. Because you become harder and colder and you become more self-pitying and therefore more self-absorbed. And if the wrongdoer was a person of wealth or authority, you may instinctively dislike and resist that sort of person for the rest of your life. And if it was a person of the opposite sex or another race, you might become permanently cynical and prejudiced against all classes of that type of person. In addition, the perpetrator, get this, the perpetrator and his friends and his family often feel that they have the right to respond to your payback in kind. So cycles of reaction and retaliation can go on for years. Evil has been done to you. Yes, but when you try to get payment through revenge, the evil does not disappear. Instead, it spreads. And it spreads most tragically of all into you and your own character. You see what's at stake here? Here's what's at stake. Is your continued walk with Christ and the glory of God through your life is at stake with issues like this. Because you'll be hindered and you'll be captured and you'll be frozen and you'll be paralyzed if there's no freedom. Freedom to forgive. So what does Joseph do? What does he do? Look at verse 18. Read it with me. I'm going to read this whole paragraph, and this set us up for the remainder of our time. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, 
Let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, here it is, here's the exposure. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. This is nothing other than the fear of God, the presence of God, the awareness of their sin. They're not thinking of it. 20 years. Now it comes. Reuben, verse 22, answers them. Did I not tell you? <laughs> Still arguing told you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Verse 23, now they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and he bound him before their eyes. And Joseph, here it is, gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Thought number two this morning is this. Be captured, verse 18, by the fear of God, not by your emotions and a feeling of entitlement. All right, the first step, open up, open yourself up before the Lord. This is where I am. Number two, though, be captured by the fear of God, not emotions and feelings of entitlement, because if you continue to walk in the, in the feelings of emotion and entitlement, your head and your heart are going to say, he owes me. She owes me. There's no way, I, parents, there's no way that son or daughter can treat me the way that they treat me. Husbands, there's no way that, that wife should speak to me, treat me that way. Wives, husband, husbands should, should love and cheer. And, and, and look, if you base it on your thoughts, if you base it on your emotions, if you base it on what you're entitled to, if Joseph based it on what he was entitled to, are you kidding me? You put me in a pit and you sold me to Egypt. And then you lied to my dad. You know he loved me. Look at the, his heart all these years. What are you thinking? Well, when I get there, God raises me up. But guess what? Potiphar's wife frames me all because I'm in Egypt now. And I've been sitting in prison for years and years and years. And now you're coming to me wanting food. Based on emotion, based on entitlement, how do you think he should go? I'm done with you. He could even say, I'm going to show you the justice of Almighty God. But he would forget one thing. The fear of God. He would forget that God is, yes, holy. Oh, my goodness. God is a holy God. He's, but he's more, he's more than just holy and outside of us. He is holy as he, through his spirit and by his sovereign hand, works. And in Genesis chapter 45, you want to get this beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. Here's where you want to go. You want a vision? Here's the vision. Genesis chapter 45. You read it this week. 
the brothers, they, they go back and forth a couple of times, and Joseph, and he finally breaks down. He comes to them, and he says, I'm your brother, Joseph. And he's hugging them, and they're just weeping, crying so loud that the Egyptians can hear him out there. They're wondering, what in the world is going on? It's the beautiful picture you want to see. And I want to see the beautiful picture of love and forgiveness and tears and emotion. It's okay. That's what you want. But you can't get there unless you live in the fear of God, not live in light of your emotions and the entitlement, the sense that I'm owed this. And the fear of God for Joseph is primarily this. You see it three times in Genesis chapter 45. God sent me. Oh, yeah, yeah, what you did was wrong. Absolutely, yeah, it hurt. Absolutely, yeah, it was unfair. But you know what? I'm going to live in the fear of God that says, God, you sent me here to preserve life, to take care of the brothers. God, you wanted your story to keep going. This is why I'm sent. So you know what? When it comes to all this other stuff, I'm going to live in light of God's incredible, providential, sovereign, controlling hand, and I will trust him. Not trust what I feel. That's hard to do. This is what God asks us to do. How do you get there? How do you get there? You pray. You pray. You pray for those that have offended you. I don't know if Joseph prayed for his brothers. I have no idea. Text doesn't say it. I know what Jesus said. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who, who, who misuse and abuse you. Pray for them. Pray for them what? That they'll do what you want them to do? No. Pray for them that they'll sense the very presence of God that you are now living in. Get your journal. Live with the word of God and live with God and write and open up your heart. This is how you get into the presence of God. It's really, really simple. You read the word. You don't have to go to seminary for this. You don't have to go to Bible study for this. Open the word. Read it. Pray on your face, beseeching God, begging God for his presence in your life. And you pray for the presence of God in the one who's offended you, and you don't let go until God works. God sent me here. It's okay. It's okay. Don't be so dismayed. Don't be so upset. God is working. God is continuing to move the story down. Genesis chapter 50, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, and I will provide for you. Here's the final thought this morning. Number three, Joseph, he fills up the bags of grain. He gives them all that they need. He gives, gives them their money back. Later on, as they come back to Egypt and then turn around and go back, he just, he just pours out grain and gives them their money back. And then when they come back again and they go back to get their father, Jacob, man, he's just so generous. He just loads up stuff upon them. The mark of forgiveness, once you get reconciled with God, the mark of forgiveness is the generous grace that you give to the offender, the same grace that you receive. Number three, fill 
the bags of those who have offended you with the generous grace you have been given in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. Joseph could have you know, could have been a nice guy and just said, you know what, I'm just going to bless you. I just, you know, and that's fine. Some of you, here's the reality. Some of you are people pleasers. Some of you are just nice guys. Some of you are just nice gals. And you just want it to work out in the end. And man, you're just going to kind of, let's see if we can do this. That, that's fine. But that's going to run out after a while. You might try, well, I'm going to go out. I'm going to try and bless them. <laughs> I'm going to give it my best shot. See if I can't just bless them somehow, some way. It's not going to work. No, that's not generous grace. Generous grace is understanding this. This is what I owed Jesus. I owed him. I, I, I owed him everything because of I was a sinner and an enemy against him. And I deserved death and I deserved hell and I deserved separation and misery for the rest of this life and hell forever and ever after that. This is what I deserved. And instead, Jesus came. And he went to a cross, and when he looked down on those who had mistreated him and abused him, the new Joseph, the new Joseph who suffered and went to a cross, and at that moment, one of the gospels says he could have, he could have called down the angels, he could, he could have released them, he, 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 could, he had the authority, he had the power, he could have done anything, but what did he do? Here was his act, Father, do what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. If I can't get to the point where I see this picture of Jesus looking at me saying, Paul, I forgive you. Because you don't know what you're doing, and you're sinful. And you mess up. But if I don't get to the point where I see the grace of Jesus coming to me and the forgiveness and the mercy and the resurrection power to live in freedom, I can try and be generous and I can try and fill bags up with good things, but until I come face to face with who Jesus is for me, it's really going to run out after a while. You have to get in touch with the gospel. You have to get in touch with this grace that comes to you. And you have to live in that. And it's freedom. I love the story of um, The Count of Monte Cristo. It's that great novel from the 1800s. It's a story about a guy named Edmund Dantes. And Edmund Dantes was a good guy, and he got railroaded. He got the shaft, and they put him in this prison. And he was never, ever going to get out of prison. And Dante's, during his time there, 13, 14 years, whatever it was, became so bitter. He became so cynical. He became so hardened. He became so, if I ever get out of here, revenge is mine. Written on the wall of the prison is a little inscription. It says, God is my justice. And he could not. He scoffed at that. There's no way God is my justice because here I am in this prison. Where is God? If I get out, I'm going to make things right. Along the way, he meets this priest. He's an old man. And this priest has been in the prison for a while. And the priest has um, found a way behind his cell to, to make a tunnel, and he's trying to build his way out. He's literally, like, crawling and taking little, little utensils. Ching, 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 ching. And he's just trying to work his way all the way out. And so when Edmund Dantes comes up, he says, you know what, maybe I can help you, and we can get out of here. And the priest says, okay, you can come help me, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to teach you how to read. I'm going to teach you history. I'm going to teach you science. I'm going to teach you how to fight. I'm going to teach you all of these things. And it made Dante the man he would be. 
one day the priest dies. They're still not out yet. They're still not in freedom. And he overhears, Dante overhears the guards say, okay, we're going to come back at 10 or 11 o'clock this evening, and we're going to take this bag, and we're going to take it out, we're going to dump it. Dump it out in the sea. So Dante figures out, here's what I'm going to do. He takes the old man, and he puts him in his cell, and he climbs in the bag, and he zips it up. So that when the guards come in to take the dead man out, the dead man isn't the priest, the dead man is Dante's. And they pick him up, and they take him out, and they throw him over, and he's free. So here's what I would say to you this morning. You cannot forgive. You cannot get to any of these points unless you change places with the dead man, with Jesus. Jesus has come and he has died to give you freedom and mercy and a new identity and a new name. Jesus has come to take your place. And when he dies and he is resurrected by his power, he makes all those who come to him and say, I take on your death. I accept your death. Zip me up in the death bag with you, Christ. Then you are free. And that is the only way some of you are going to be able to take that first step is if you come to grips, come face to face with this reality that Christ has made you free. I walked into, walked into the bathroom after walking through this story, and I told Shuri, I said, that's, that changes, the gospel changes everything. You, you can't do it. You can't, we, we can try and forgive. We, we, we can try and make reconciliation. We can try and do all those things, but it's in the flesh. And until Christ, until I'm identified with him, there's risk involved. Oh yeah, there's risk involved, but Christ will go with you. I don't know where the road is going to wind. I don't know where the road is going to turn. That's exactly right. But Jesus will go with you. I don't know what to say. I don't know what, I don't know what God is going to do in me. I don't know what God is going to do in them. That's okay. As long as you take on the identity of Jesus Christ and you're obedient to him, there will be grace for you to obey. What's your next step? What is your, look, I'm not going to let you leave. What is your next step this morning? Who, who are you, what, what are you going to do in your, in your quiet time? What are you going to do with this other person? When, when the opportunity comes this week, what will you do? Now, here's the thing. In my office right now, i got notes. i got folders of sermons I preach on forgiveness. I have everything laid out, A, B, C, D, E. And I thought, should I throw those in there? What do I do? What do I do? Here's, what, here's the conclusion I came to. You know what? I believe so much in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and the power of God that if you come to Him on your face before Him, and you try and apply some of the things that we've talked through and you've read, I believe the Holy Spirit can lead you to that next step, and I will trust him. What is it that God's called you to do? There's hope. There's freedom. There's freedom for that next step. There's power in the gospel. Will you, will you, like Joseph, like Jesus, in the fear of God, take a step of faith.
and offer forgiveness. Let's pray right now. Father, would you untangle the knot of our heart that keeps us locked in to our own self-absorption? And would you free this people, your people, your sheep, free them this week to respond to you first, crying out before you, but then to others, however you see fit. And Lord, we pray that you would begin revival. Revival that is very simple. Confession, the word, forgiveness, healing. One relationship at a time. Would you reconcile hearts that have been broken for a long, long time? Would you give freedom to men and women who are captured by hurt? they've never really ever let go and would you allow us to see that in your own way you continue to write a story in our lives that is for your glory and that it hurts and it's hard but ultimately it's worth it will you go with your people would you bless them walk with them hear them and we pray this now in Jesus name